Hello, everyone. You're listening to the I Go with Ego podcast, bringing you guests with first-hand experience in studying abroad and seizing personalities excelling in the workforce. We want you to own your journey and be the best you can be. Now presenting your host, Ego Kelly Ekakite. Hi everyone, welcome to another episode of the I Go With Ego podcast. I am super excited. I have a wonderful guest here, Jaylin. Jay, how are you? Welcome to the show. I am doing well. Thank you so much for having me on. That's great. Thank you. Thank you for accepting my invitation. It means a lot to me and it means a lot to everyone on the team. So thank you again. Of course. Could you tell us or my audience anything about you? You know, where you come from or something exciting about you? Yeah, yeah. So... Um, I guess my origin story is I was born and raised in a small township uh, just outside of Detroit, Michigan, uh, named Ypsilanti. Um, I mean, Ipsy has my heart and soul. Uh, it's where I learned to what to do, what not to do. I learned about community. I learned about the essence of family and friendship there. Um, and eventually my family made the decision to move completely down south from Michigan. Uh, to Texas, uh, and that's where I graduated from high school. And I did my undergrad um, at the University of Texas in San Antonio, uh, where I studied global affairs. Um, and now I'm currently on the East Coast, uh, where I'm at the University of Pennsylvania, uh, studying international development. So, been you know here and there, but I'd say my story has been marked a lot by community and. Um, and, and, and real relationships. So I'm I'm excited to be here with you in this podcast and what you're doing um, is really spectacular. So uh, happy to keep the conversation going. Well, thank you so very much. It means a lot to me. Thank you. All right, it's Black History Month. It's, it's you know, it's Black History Month. Uh, that's why I have you here, you know, to tell us what does Black History Month mean to you? Yeah, this is, this is a, a loaded question for me because it means so much, right? Uh, I mean, as... An African American, so I guess my my family background, my mother's family is originally from Louisiana, so there's a Creole side there, um, and my father's family's got deep Native American roots, and it's funny because we all come from these different um, sort of diverse intersections of life, but we all meet and identify as Black uh, men and women, and I think that that's what this month really reminds me of. It reminds me that. Black people come in all different colors, shapes, sizes. Uh, we come from different places. Um, I'm sure that transition being from uh, Africa here, you know, you start to realize, oh, wow, here people right. see black, you know. True. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, we're all in this melting pot together. Absolutely. And, um, I really love this month because, for, well, for me, it's, it's really a year by year thing. I, I don't think I ever just celebrate it during the month. But I, I love this month because it gives us an opportunity uh, to think about a different perspective on American history, because I always say uh, American history is black history. Um, and so it, it provides our kids, our, our parents, our, the elderly a moment to just recognize and appreciate all those who've come before, um, all those who are working now and in the generation to come. And so. I'm really proud of Black History Month because people usually give us their time of day. Uh, <laughs> but I, I'm really hoping that this month really transcends uh, beyond just this time for 
this generation True. Uh, because it's really something unique uh, that lies within black history and culture. Mm-hmm. Well, well said, you know, I learned so much coming to America, you know, I, first of all, I didn't know about Madam CJ Walker being the first millionaire, a black person. I didn't know about Black Wall Street ever yeah, in Tulsa, yeah. Oklahoma then, you know. So coming here from Africa has taught me so much about black Americans and the history and the culture. So rich. And, and I'm like, you know what? It's this. You guys have been through a lot and we have to celebrate every single day, you know, as, as Black History Day, honestly. For most black Americans, you know, everyone seems to feel that they've been left out by the government and left out by the leaders that they have. So what challenges do black Americans still face today? Looking at all we've been through and the history we have. Yeah, yeah, of course. I, I'd say that this may look different depending on who you are, which black uh, person you are. You know, for the black woman who's growing up and, and learning right now that she's still in a time where She's been given her rights constitutionally, but still is neglected by society. Whereas her, you know, I don't know, 97 cents is only compared to a man still $1.50, right? Like, you know, like she's still ducked down. Or you may be the African-American male who, you know, recognizes that even in this world where we can see someone like a President Obama, I still have to claw my way uh, just to be admitted into a you know, prestigious university. So I think that with the, the day and age, it's always key to remind ourselves that the struggle for civil rights wasn't that long ago. Um, in fact, the 60s was just yesterday. And I feel like a lot of the pressures we you know, face today are just debris from the big collision that happened then. Uh, and so now we're trying to find out how can we clean up? How can we really go through our government, go through our constitution, you know, go through these different things that weren't built to serve us and reform them. And for some things, destroy them. Uh, So this generation has proposed a lot. You know, we've just in this past year, I know it's been crazy. You know, like we we saw the uh, police brutality come out a lot. We saw, you know, more cases and more incarceration of black and brown youth. You know, we've seen an increase in sexual assault cases dealing with women of color. Um, And all across the country, I I feel like there's just this overwhelming pressure on Black people. And, you know, I don't think that that's going to lighten up anytime soon, but I do think it's a good thing. And I say that because it means that we're moving somewhere, right? Like, no diamond begins a diamond. It has sure. to go through, you know, certain things in order to to get to that state. Mm-hmm. And so I'm thankful for all the activists, for the frontline workers, for men like President Obama, but also the men on the, you know, the janitorial level, you know, who are working to maintain the men who are building that go unnoticed. Um, they're all a part of the fabric that we call America. And so the struggles, you know, they change for everyone. For for me, they may look different than they may for, you know, say my fiance and my parents. But I, I, I think that it's not wrong to have those, but we've got to start to ask ourselves, what part do we play in that? And I've sort of started to, you know, think on that. And I know we'll talk a little bit about global affairs and United Nations and stuff. Yeah. Uh, but I've started to sort of try to configure myself within that. Where do I belong in this narrative True. of black history? Um, And I think that that's the question that I should be asking, you should be asking, you know, all the viewers, you know, listening. 
Yeah, absolutely. You know, uh, we're all black at the end of the day, like you said. <laughs> because I tell people, a racist, well, let's say a racist man, whether white man or whatever, will, will not listen to my accent before he shoots me, if he hits me. Right. You see? So he doesn't want to know if I'm African or African-American. As long as you're black, you know, he wants to do something bad to you. And that's where I call for unity. I call for love among the black people. I tell them, I can never understand your history. Because mm-hmm. I didn't grow up in America, you know. Likewise, you can understand my struggles because I didn't. Uh, you didn't grow up in Africa, so it's two different worlds together. But at, at the end of the day, what brings us together is the skin color and the motherland, you know. So I, I'm excited to have you here. You, you know, hearing from you and and all the experience and the things you've said so far every black person ought to be excited to know that hey, you know what? We're in a new time, we're in a new season. It yeah. can only get better. Yeah, Martin Luther King, you know, he's like one of our gold standards in looking at people <laughs> that want to be like, when they talk about inclusion and equality. So how can we continue in our own lives to begin to push for more inclusion and more equality? Yeah, and I, and I think Martin Luther King, something unique that I don't think a lot of people recognize, and I have a lot of friends actually from Nigeria, and we have these, you know, awesome. discussions because the history <laughs> are different, right? But I think something people don't recognize is that in his day, Martin Luther King, you know, he had a lower poll rating than say Donald Trump, right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, I don't think a lot of people recognize that he wasn't like his, his, you know, his proposition wasn't one that was favored, right? Like people weren't rallying. What we saw when he gave his I Have a Dream speech was a was a culmination of struggles that lead, mm-hmm. led up to that point, but he wasn't the most revered man. And I think when I think about that, I often reflect and I think, hmm, I wonder how he must have felt within it, right? Like going through it. And I and I often think, did he still tell himself before he went to sleep that equality, you know, could happen? Did he still tell himself that this I have a dream speech could be a reality? Did he believe the words he preached? And I think that our actions speak louder than our words. And throughout, even to the last moment um, of his life, you know, he he allowed that to lead him. And now we revere those actions decades later. Um, and we see him and we place him on this pedestal, you know, and he's not here to see that sadly, but, you know, we're here to embrace it. And so when I think about Dr. King, I think about being, I think about being comfortable with being on the opposite end, you know, of the struggle. Like I think about being siloed and, you know, having, you know, a belief, having a dream. And maybe some people around me don't believe that dream. And maybe some people aren't buying into it at the moment, but still choosing to persevere. That's what I think about when I think of Dr. King. And that's what I believe that young black men and women should have the heart of, because we're such a collective nature. You know this, we're on social media nowadays. (laughs) And we can often, you know, live in this bubble of social media and sort of think, man, uh, everybody thinks the way I do. Right. But what we saw in this past election is, Mm. no, they don't. (laughs) You know, there are people who have their own opinions, they have their own thoughts, and you have to be okay with that. You have to learn how to move forward within that. Stick by your guns and continue to move forward because years from now, there may be a young child learning about you in a history book at a time when no one was on your side. And so I always think about what's the morally just and right thing to do in this situation? And how do I want history to reflect on my record? 
And and that's what guides me. And I, I believe that that's something good that could guide your viewers as well. You've heard it from Jay. Uh, we're going to short break now. When we come back, we, we know Jay is served as the eighth youth observer to the United Nations. When we come up from the short break, he will tell us about his experience with the United Nations and um, all about UNA USA. We'll be right back. Welcome back from the short break. We still have my very good friend Jaylene here. Uh, you know, Jay, I know you served as the eighth youth observer to the United Nations, engaging young people in global affairs all around the country. And how was this experience for you? Yeah, so backtrack actually to my um, was it my freshman year of college at UTSA, and I had a meeting with this very tiny, um, fast, you know, she's very quick, like very quick and super stern lady named Dr. E. And uh, I had just heard about her, right? So she, her, her name preceded her. Mm. And before I entered her office, I was wondering, what is the hype about this woman? What is, what's going on? What is she about to tell me? So being a freshman, I didn't know what in the world I wanted. <laughs> so oftentimes you still, I still don't know where I'm headed or where I want. Uh, but like I, I entered her office and it was sort of like this, there's this and there's this movie called The Incredibles and there's this woman there named Edna and she just spins around in her chair and she just directs everything. And she sort of resembled that in a way that she's just like, okay, I'm Dr. E. You know, tell me your story. And I began to tell my story to this woman that I had no idea who she was. And um, she just began to take it all in, writing notes. And then she's like, okay, this is what we're gonna do. This is what we're gonna do. This is what we're gonna do. And before I knew it, my entire college career was planned out. And <laughs> in that office was the first time I actually learned about the Youth Observer uh, position. Yeah. And I knew that I wanted a career in international affairs and diplomacy and you know i presented that to her but i mean being from ypsilanti you know a small town i'm like and being black i mean <laughs> you study international yeah. relations there are no black authors in our major nope. i mean you know we don't really learn about very many people we read kissinger or some right. other folks and you know it's great and all but there's no black folks so i'm like okay maybe this is wishful thinking and she's like you're not ready yet but your senior year you should apply and my senior year, I finally come around and I had um, some amazing experiences working with Global Citizen, you know, Cultural Vistas, did some work abroad. And I, you know, just threw my hat in the ring. And uh, surprisingly, that summer I was working in Saudi Arabia of all places, which is saturated with Nigerians, by the way. Oh, yeah. Nigerians <laughs> yeah. are everywhere. Everywhere. <laughs> yes, yes. And yes, they are getting that oil money. Right. Uh, <laughs> uh, so I, I was at the on an oil base working with students and I was doing my interviews on a different time zone. Right. Um, and so I had finally, you know, gotten the notification that I would be uh, selected as a youth observer. Um, and while part of me knew a little bit of what I was entering, I didn't know what I signed up for. <laughs> so coming all the way from, you know, Dr. E's office, my freshman year to this moment, it sort of seemed like an all encompassing sort of you know, book, but it had only just begun. And, you know, sort of that UNGA feel 
is when you really, I say it's like the Youth Observer inauguration because you're just thrown to the wolves and, you know, there's heads of state in New York City, there's UNA USA, you know, different events and stuff. Uh, and so experiencing that was a little bit um, nerve wracking, not gonna lie, because it was, you know, all coming at you all at once and they, they make sure you're fairly booked. But that experience throughout that year, and I started to get used to it you know, you, I always say you only get used to the position when it's time to leave. <laughs> and like, by the time I got the hang of it, I was so in love. And, it, and, and the, these were the highlights of the youth observership. For me, it was meeting the people. So the chapters, meeting students and, you know, the chapter leaders. And just to see how vast the network is, it, it was really amazing to see all of the Americans, Black, White, Asian, Hispanic, we're all identifying as Americans who want to champion the work of the UN. That was inspiring. Also, um, second was getting to meet different, you know, dignitaries, diplomats and heads of state. You know, it, it could seem intimidating, but they're at the end of the day, they're just people sure. uh, who make decisions and, you know, and they have a hard time doing so. So getting to pull from that tree of wisdom um, and disseminating that among, you know, the people I've met uh, was really rich. And, and then the last moment for me was, uh, I worked with, a you may know Anna. Yeah. Uh, yeah. 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 And so she, she's actually, when she first called me, her area code was seven, three, four. And I was like, Hmm, that's Ypsilanti, Michigan. <laughs> Anna and I are from the same place, right. <laughs> that small township. And yeah. we just clicked from there. And I said, Anna, what if I did a homecoming tour? You know, what if I went back? Cause you know, a lot of the kids where I'm from don't know about the UN True. and that, you know, getting to host that with my old middle school and elementary school was just so rich, man. Like that was, that was awesome. So all together, you know, all of that to say it was a rich experience. Um, it was definitely something that transformed my life and it's really guided me in the direction of where I eventually hope to go one day. Yeah. As a member of the UN and the USA, I've always admired your works, you know, all through your time. It gave me hope that, you know, we have people there doing great things. And that's what uh, attracted me to you in the first place and all that. So great job. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, so much, man. Why should young Americans support the UN and join you in the USA? Yeah, yeah. So I, I think that the purpose of the UN still stands, right? It was True. created after the Second World War to ensure that you know, peace and stability will remain throughout the, you know, the international order. And for some time, it, it did a great job of doing that. And still today it exists um, as the forum where most of the world's countries, not all, but most of the world's countries can come together um, and, and speak their peace rightfully. And, and I think that there's no other forum like that. I, I had an experience where I was in Brooklyn and there was a group of students uh, from an activist group and they were asking me very critical questions. One thing as youth observer is everybody's trying to get under your skin at some point in time. And, you know, they were asking me some very tough questions about the United Nations, how they believed that it was inherently corrupt, that, you know, that the system isn't working, nor will it ever work. You have a security council who can't ever decide on things. <laughs> you have five nations who just seem to always be at odds. And it's, you know, hearing that come from her, I, I totally respected the perspective, right? Like, 
as leaders, we have to learn to accept that there are other perspectives in the world. And so I took it as it is. And I then returned my perspective. And, and I'll tell you what that was. I, I said, you know, I asked her simply, I said, well, if there is no UN, how do our worlds, how do our countries communicate? Mm -hmm. How do they talk to one another? And we talked a little bit about, you know, bipartisanship, bipartisan diplomatic treaties, you know, you know, different sort of conferences like COP or like the Paris Agreement, these different sort of ordeals. And then I asked her the question, so you'd rather it be just a few countries together than all of them? She says, no, 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 that's not what I mean. I just mean that it needs to be a more effective system. And so I say, okay, I remember the United Nations replaced, replaced the League of Nations. So what would be a better system than the United Nations? And, you know, she found herself stumped at these questions. And my purpose wasn't to try to persuade her, but it was to get her to understand the essence of the UN. And it is not to solve the world's problems. Nope. It's to only bring the world together, right? Like that is a forum for the world to decide what they do. In fact, you know, the United Nations is only as powerful as the member states make it. Right. Sure. Countries have to pay its dues in order for the lights to continue running at the UN. They have to participate in order for the Security Council to happen. So really, it's just a participatory organization. So really, the establishment itself has no authority, no rule, no power outside of the countries that make it. Absolutely. Right. So then I told her our best interest is to tell our government to continue in this forum. And that brings me to UNAUSA. It's one of the first organizations, I believe, um, you know, advocating for the, you know, the UN at the US level. It is the oldest. And, you know, at its at its creed and its founding, it, it was meant with the purpose of making sure that Americans not only knew what the UN was, but that they understood that our participation is vital. You know, and now that we have a new administration, I'm sort of hopeful for our diplomatic record to increase, for our allies to come together around the issues that truly matter. Um, and I think that, you know, I won't say that that was completely absent in the last administration, but I do think that we confuse the UN a lot with being an organization that fixes all the world's problems. True. <laughs> yeah, and, <laughs> and they just sadly can't do that, but UNAUSA is there to provide people like you and I with the opportunity to speak about why we continue, we should continue at that forum to continue participating. And that's why I love the group. Absolutely. You know, I remember when I walked the halls of the UN, uh, <laughs> the, the, there's a big caption that says the United Nations was not created to take mankind to heaven, but to save mankind from hell. You know, so <laughs> it was the former UN president that said, I can't remember his name, but they can't solve all the world's problem but they can find a, a common ground between nations to accept each other, sign treaties, come to an agreement, and of course, avoid nuclear World War III. We don't want that. What's next for you? You know, uh, in the next five years, 10 years, what's next? Yeah, that I, I think that I've been weighing heavily on that and like not taking it lightly. And honestly, in this process of deciding where I'm, I wanna head, I want to give encouragement to the listeners as well that yeah. you know, it's okay not to know what you want to do, right? Like 
we don't have to have our story planned out. True. I always like to refer back to my you know, history over my life. Nothing, in fact, that I've ever planned has come to fruition. <laughs> Everything that I've gone through has been by complete accident or just because, you know, I, I say, you know, God's directing my path, you know, like, and so it's, for me, it's, it's, it's trusting in, you know, trusting and believing in what I can't see mm-hmm. and knowing that greater is, you know, ahead of us, not just for me, mm-hmm. right? In the spirit of Black History Month, we have to remember that what we do today impacts the young Black boys and girls, whether they're born here in Africa, wherever, you know, later on. And so I've got to think about them too. You know, so of course I'm thinking about how do I sustain life? You know, like what pays, right? right. You know, <laughs> talking about you and internships is a whole nother story. Um, tell me about it. Mm. <laughs> right. Know. You know, so it's thinking about what sustains, but also where do you want to leave your mark? And I think that that's a difficult question because we often think that we have to leave it somewhere in specific, but you can leave it in the human rights area, you can leave it in the television and media arts area. Who says that we have to be siloed and, mm. you know, be complete monoliths? Like, you know, we can do multiple things as long as, you know, the late Chadwick Boseman uh, said in a speech, he's like, it's better that you find a purpose than a career. Mm. And for me, that's what I'm trying to find every day. Um, and and it's, it's building itself out. So hopefully five years or 10 years from now, I'll have a definite answer for you. <laughs> nice. Well, if there's anyone rooting for you, I am rooting for you. I, I know you're doing great things. I, I, I can't wait. All right. Before I let you go, because I know it's been a while, I know you're, you're a gifted singer. Oh. And you are a fine player of the keyboard. And you know how to sing that the heavens can come down. Let's just say that. <laughs> do you want to do a freestyle for us today? Let's do a freestyle. Oh, Let's see. My, I, I, oh, man. I don't know. Wait, what's what's your favorite song? I'll, 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 let's see. I don't know. I'm not really good let's, with let's, freestyle. Let's say Lean On Me. Okay. Uh, okay. Lean on me when you're not strong and I'll be your friend. I'll help you carry on for it won't be long till I'm gonna need somebody to lean on. (laughs) You see what I said? Absolutely. Thank you. That was wonderful, Jay. Thank you so much. Well, I'm grateful. Thank you, everyone, for listening to Jay. You see why I brought him in. He's a, he's a vast wealth of resource. He's a wonderful person. He's a, he has a kind heart and is absolutely intelligent. That's what I love about him. He knows what he says and he means what he says, too. So thank you, Jay. Thank you thank for, you. Thank for you, honoring my invitation. I'm grateful. Thank you. Thank you for having me and thank you all for listening. Thank you. Well, Please don't forget to follow us on all social media at, at I Go With Ego. And please share this podcast with family and friends. And please stay safe out there. There's still COVID. Wear your mask, social distance, and try and be the best you can be. Have a wonderful time. Thank you.